Amen. Well, our children can slide out to Transformation Station. And as they're sliding out, let me encourage you to grab a copy of God's Word or, or turn on your Bible, whatever you're using there, to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We're going to be looking at John 14, verses 15 through 31 today. If you're, if you're using one of the Bibles we provide, that's on page 901. As our kids slide out, uh, many of you know, my name is John Chastain. I serve as, as one of the pastors here, um, but I'm also the, the site coordinator for Soccer Nights in Medford. Um, and Soccer Nights is one of the highlight, one of my weeks um, of the year, highlighted weeks of the year. I, I love it. I love uh, the opportunity to, to love on kids, to love on families. Um, and just as a side plug, um, I would love uh, for you to serve with us. You may be thinking, hey, I'm not a soccer person. I'm not going to coach soccer. I'm not great. If you saw me kick a soccer ball, I might be stumbling over the place. Like Maybe that's what you're thinking. But there's really a lot of roles for people to serve in soccer nights, from setup and teardown to registering families and kids. Imagine 300 unique kids showing up. There, there's some way that we've got to have a process to get them checked in, to get them to their teams, and then to get them checked out and make sure we don't lose any of them, and that safety and security is a huge concern. There's snacks. There's a lot of different ways. So we really would love to see this, um, not just the soccer community at Redemption Hill serving with soccer nights, but that it would be our family as a church, we collectively embrace soccer nights. And what you're going to find in addition to just loving kids and families in our community, is you're going to have fun serving with other people. You're going to find out, hey, if you really want to get connected at Redemption Hill, come serve at soccer nights. And you're going to get to rub shoulders for a few nights that week um, with other people, get to learn them, have fun together, um, and, and, and have a blast. So that's my short plug on soccer nights. Would love for you to serve with us. Well, this morning, before we jump in, to John 14. I'm sure many of you are aware of the news that broke this past Friday of the death of an iconic figure, Muhammad Ali. Who, who else heard of that news? I mean, this is a three-time world heavyweight boxing champion who's been battling Parkinson's disease since 19. 84. And he's probably you know, a very quotable, you could probably quote something that he has said. I, I grew up and often heard my dad say this. You probably know it by memory. What am I about to say here? He floats like a butterfly, stings like a bee, but what? No hand can hit what the eye can't see. I mean, just, I heard that. My dad would say that often. We'd be driving to school, and my dad is just spewing, quoting that. Well, this past week, I was reading on CNN. They were just kind of describing the last moments of his life and um, described it this way. He was surrounded by his family. They held his once powerful hands. They hugged and kissed their father. They chanted Islamic prayer and tried to stay strong. Some whispered in his ear, you can go now. We will be okay. We love you. Thank you. You can go back to God now. It's never easy losing a loved one. Uh, 
though we don't know exactly what they are feeling and experiencing right now, we probably can all relate to the emotional and physical loss of losing a loved one. I hope you're kind of feeling that. I'm just trying to pull you along in that experience. What I want to do now is take that same thought and I want to go back a couple thousand years to the disciples. Jesus has just shared with them in John 13, 1, that his hour had come to depart out of this world. Think about this. This is the Jesus who called these disciples and said, leave everything and come follow me. And do you know what they did? They left everything and they came and they followed him. Now he's turning around and saying, guys, I'm leaving. My time on earth is finished. What are they going to do? Where are they going to go? They have left everything. How would they survive without his guiding presence? Jesus, knowing this, in John 14, verse 1, comforts them with these words that Tanner shared with us last week. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Did those, were those words helpful this past week in your life? Let not your hearts be troubled. He continues on last week and jumping down to verse 12, if you'll look in your word there with me. He describes this scenario and what life is going to be like after he departs. And he says in verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. As we think about the, the upcoming loss of the disciples, they are about to lose their, their master whom they've left everything to follow. So as we, we think and reflect on the last moments of Muhammad Ali's life and their family with him, and then you think about the last moments of the disciples with the one whom they've left everything. He tells them that greater works than I've done are you going to do because I'm going to the Father. Do you see that in verse 12? The word because? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me also will do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. How is it that Jesus going to the Father is going to allow them to do greater works? Well, what these few verses allude to are the need for enabling power. If you are going to do works, even greater works than Jesus, and just as a side note here, Jesus isn't talking about his disciples doing more miraculous works than he's done. I mean, he's rose Lazarus from the dead. 
the scope. After his death and exaltation and going to the Father, we enter into this new age of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes, and we see on the day of Pentecost, 5,000 people repent from their sin and come to faith in Jesus. So we already see in Acts this foretaste of the greater things of him going to the Father and now this work of the Spirit. And so what we see in our passage today is that Jesus is going to clarify why his going to the Father is such a good thing by enabling and giving us the power of the Holy Spirit. But then he also qualifies his statement that if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it with these first few words in verse 15. He says this. I'm going to read through our passage today. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I'll just pause here real quick. We're going to get to the Spirit, but this is where he starts. As if to think, hey, I can ask anything in Jesus' name, and he says he'll do it, that promise is tied to ethical realities. It's it's not as if we can just manipulate Jesus and wave him around and use him however we want to use him for our own selfish needs and desires. It's that promise, if you ask anything in my name, is contingent upon an actual genuine mutual relationship, one relationship that's described. As if you love him, you'll keep his commands. And what we're going to see in our passage today, that this theme of love permeates much of this passage. So let me continue. Let's read through verse 31. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, He will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the spirit of truth, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance All that I've said to you, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. 
You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. The main point that I want us to get today that I believe is flowing out of the text is this. Display genuine love for Christ and enjoy the helping presence of Christ. Display genuine love for Christ and enjoy the helping presence of of Christ. And so we're going to take that main point and just break that down into two truths today. And the first one that we're going to unpack is this. Genuine love for Christ is displayed in obedience to Christ. I mean, this is pretty evident and clear in the text. In verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jump on down to verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them He it is who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So this this repeated theme throughout is that genuine love for Christ is actually displayed in practical realities of how you Live your life. What's ringing and echoing here or, or what we find in the Old Testament? I've got on the screen here for you from Deuteronomy chapter 10. As, as God calls his people in the Old Testament to love him, he says this, And now Israel, what does the Lord your, your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good. Look, this is just one example, but we could read through Exodus and Deuteronomy and see numerous examples of God calling his people to love him and displaying that love through keeping his commandments. And so what we have here is Jesus gives us a formula of love that goes something like this. Stated love plus actual practice equals actual love. Let me break this down for you. Stated love. I love you, Jesus. Actual practice is going to reveal whether my stated love corresponds to my actual love. You guys following me? So if I say I love Jesus, but I don't obey anything that he says, my actual love is I don't love Jesus. You guys good on that math? I think it's pretty simple for us to get. Not not too complicated, not calculus here. Um, We could break this down in a lot of relationships, right? And I could talk about my relationship with my wife. Lee could probably care less what I say with my mouth. Show me that you love me, John. Right? 
It's one thing to speak, I love you. And I'm not minimizing that. And I'm not saying there aren't emotions and feelings. But true love eventually testifies itself, verifies itself through actual practice. So in other words, if you say you love Jesus, but you don't obey his commands, then Jesus is alluding to here, I mean, you don't really love me. In fact, love in the Gospel of John is not simply an abstract emotion you only feel. It is something very practical. One of the greatest challenges we will face as a church in the days of head is that our knowledge of what we are supposed to do outruns our actual practice of that. For many of us, our greatest challenge in following Christ isn't knowledge-related. It's application-related. Knowing what to do for many of us isn't the problem. For most of us, we know what Jesus calls us to do. The challenge many of us face is actually doing it. It's practice and application-related. Now, I don't want to just too quickly fly over this. If you love me, you'll keep his commands. Because, man, I really think Jesus wants us to use this as a mirror to reflect into our lives. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to jump over to 1 John, same author as the Gospel of John, and just read through a passage. I've got it on the screen here. So if you want to, you can turn in your Bibles to 1 John 4, but I'll also have it up here. And I just want us to continue to reflect on this relationship of loving God and Jesus and keeping his commands. In 1 John 4, verse 7, the word of God says this beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation just simply means a wrath-bearing sacrifice. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. He was a substitute for us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now let me just pause here for a second. Who initiates love? What's that? God does. I mean, pretty clear here, right? And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. God's love, it's not like we presented ourselves really lovable to God. And then he says, okay, now I can love you, John. No, we present ourselves as filthy Sinful, ugly. Somebody else fill a word in there? Wretched sinners. 
And the love of God is manifested in this, that God says, I'm still going to love them. And I'm going to love them so much that I'm going to send my sinless son. And though they deserve wrath and condemnation and judgment and separation, I'm going to put all that on my son as a display of my love. God initiates love and we respond. But the last part of that verse, verse 12, that passage, verse 12, but if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. One of the testaments, has somebody really come to know and experience the initiating love of God is that it so permeates their life that they love him and love other people. So we continue in verse John. I'm going to jump down to verse 19. And John says, we love because he first loved us. You guys see that? God initiates, we respond. If anyone says, I love God, stated belief, and hates his brother, actual practice, he's a liar, actual belief. You don't love God. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And then moving on to 1 John 5, John continues, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Let me make a few suggestions and observations here. When Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, he isn't suggesting that the way to earn God's favor is by merit. As if I obey him and I'll receive his love. Jesus is just clarifying who is it that has truly experienced the love of God. It so impacts their life that they respond with genuine love for me and that's displayed in an obedient life. In other words, if we see that our lives aren't characterized by obedience to his commands, then we should seriously be questioning, Do, have I really experienced the love of God in Christ? Do I really love Jesus, though we may sing about him with our lips on Sundays, though we may prioritize small group and serving with him. Jesus is saying, if your love is real, it will be seen and manifested in your actions. In other words, how you obey. Now let me just pause here for a second. I realize that none of us are perfect. And so what I don't think Jesus is saying here is that if you really love me, you'll be perfect. But that the, 
The pattern and characterization of our lives should be one of increasingly moving towards obedience to the commands of Christ. What would you think of me and my love for my wife if I stated I loved her, but I did not listen to her desires, her wishes, her thoughts? You would just say, I'm pretty selfish. I don't love her. I love myself and what I want. And as long as I can fit her wishes in with what I want, well, then that, that's okay. But loving my wife is actually to sit down and say, man, Lee, what, what makes your life go? What, what makes your heart beat? Man, what do you enjoy doing? How can I serve you? I spend time with her. I listen to her. And it is the same with Jesus. That if we are going to follow him with love, and there ought to be emotions and joy and delight and satisfaction, but there also ought to be a listening to Jesus. Man, how can I best love you? What does that look like today? And he speaks to us through his word. Now, if you find that there's little obedience in your life, I want to protect you from something. The solution today isn't to leave and say, well, what I need to do is I need to go start obeying. If you find there's little obedience in your life, the solution is rather to come with eyes of faith and see the love of God displayed in Christ, in the gospel. You guys hear me on that? Because when you experience Jesus saying, I'm completely sinless, but I am going to die for every single one of your sins that you've ever committed or will commit so that you can enter into a relationship with me, the Spirit, my Father, I'm going to do this for you. When you see that with eyes of faith, do you know what that does? You become changed. You become alive. And you overflow and respond in love. The, at the heart of our lack of obedience is not a pull up my boots and my grip, my fist, and to try harder. It is a walk of faith to draw near to Jesus through his spirit, which we're going to talk about in a second. And you know what he says to his spirit? He says, I've poured out my love into your hearts through the Holy Spirit, Romans 5. It's to draw near to God, to experience the grace found in the gospel, and to repent of your sins, and to believe, and to pray that God would so change you and make you alive that there is love and affections and desires to go and obey Jesus. So I'm pleading with you, if you find in your life today, and I really don't have much desire, or I'm not, I have very little obedience of Christ what you need is to come and repent of your sin and to experience Jesus, the cross, and to believe. You can do that right now. Just call upon him to forgive you of your sin, to give you eyes of faith, to believe and embrace Jesus and his work on the cross. So look ahead with me in John 14, verse 31. Go back there. Jesus doesn't, he never commands something that he's not willing to do himself. Look here in verse 31. 
I'm actually going to go back and read 30 and 31. I will no longer talk much with you, for the rule of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. What's, it, what's the rule of the world about to do? Who's the rule of the world? Satan. What's he about to do? He thinks he's got Jesus. He's done, he's done working through Judas, who's going to betray him, and Jesus is about to be handed over. I mean, we're in the last moments of Jesus' life. He's about to be handed over to the officials, and pretty soon he's going to go stand trial, and then he's going to die an excruciating death on the cross. And Jesus says this, I'm not talking much more with you. The rule of the world's coming. I'm about to be arrested. I'm about to go. This is, I'm about to depart from this world through the death of on the cross, but he says, he has no claim on me. He thinks he's got me, but he has no claim. And Jesus says this, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. How do we know Jesus has an actual love for the Father? And by the way, the love within the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, is from eternal and it will continue on. And God could be described of this fountain of love. His creation is flowing out of him wanting others to experience his love that he has within the Trinity. But Jesus says this, you know that I love the Father. How? Because I'm obeying him even to death on the cross. Philippians describes it this way. Take on this. Have this mind of yours which is yours in Christ. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself and did what? Became obedient even to the point of death. You know Jesus' love is genuine because he obeyed the command of his Father even when it was hard. In a few moments, Jesus is going to the garden, and in Luke, it describes Jesus as crying out, Father, Father, if there's any other way, would you take this cup from me? The cup of wrath. That's related to propitiation. He's about to drink the cup of wrath for the sins of the world. He says, if there's any other way, God, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will. What's he say? Your will be done. That's where he's headed. We see the climax of Jesus' obedience to the Father displayed in his humbling himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what Jesus is saying, look at me and how I love my Father. And that's what I'm expecting you to love me. Jesus calls us to this. But the good news is he also empowers this. Before I move on to our second point in the spirit, I just want you to think about this. If we ought to be obeying him by keeping his commands, this is why we should be spending time with him daily, listening to his commands. You see that connection? Like if you, if you really want a heart that loves Jesus, you gotta go spend time with him. Hey Jesus, I need help parenting. I just led an equip group this morning um, with some parents. And we're just praying, God, help us think about parenting in light of the gospel and it's just reminding us that 
that I need to go daily and hear Jesus and help him give me eyes of faith so that I can parent in a way that pleases him. Whether that's parenting or marriage or dating or work or being a good neighbor. We got to be spending time listening to Jesus so that we can love him. One of the commands that Jesus gives in Matthew 5, I just want to relate to soccer nights, another soccer nights plug. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. The reason we do soccer nights is because it's a tangible way we can love and serve our community and display the light of Christ. We're not just supposed to withhold this. We're to go out into our community and say, the gospel so changes us that we're going to go do soccer nights for free. We're going to give you a free t-shirt and we're going to provide many of the volunteers and there's no strings attached. We just want to love on you. It's, it's a way of us letting our light shine. Why would we want to go do that? Because that is the picture of the gospel. There's no strings attached. God freely sent forth his son, not because we deserved it, but because it's flowing out of his eternal love. And he wants you to experience that. And our soccer nights is a way of doing that. So as, as we think of soccer nights, I, I don't want to mani- I'm not manipulating you into coming to serving. But I do want to say, as you think about your love for Jesus, one of the things Jesus asks us to do is to let your light shine. That maybe you would pray, and God, how could I let my light shine at soccer nights in July? That would just be the challenge I would leave for you today as you seek to love Jesus and let your light shine. Well, there are a number of benefits and promises to the genuine follower who loves Jesus that we see. I know we got a a lot to cover here, so I'm just going to summarize. In verse 21, look at what he says. Whoever has commandment, my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. And you just hear those? The love of the Father is lavished upon you. The love of the Son. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me and will keep my word, my Father will love him and will come to him and make our, we will come to him and we will make our home with him. You see, what happens when we truly experience the love of God in Christ is we also experience the presence of God through the Spirit of Christ. And so, leading to our second truth, flowing out of our main point today is this, the helping presence of the Spirit dwells in those who love Christ. I want you to think about this. Going back to our intro, Jesus is about to depart from the world. His disciples who've left everything Man, who's going to be our guiding presence? We've been following this guy around. We've been listening to our teachers. He's been our master. We've been trying to obey. We've been failing often. Verse 36 of chapter 13. Simon Peter, Lord, where are you going? Hey, I'm going to come with you. No, no, you, you can't immediately go right now where 
I'm going. So we come to chapter 14. Hey, let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself that you may be with me also. It's this promise of the presence of Christ. You see, Jesus' departure out of the world prepares the way for the Spirit to come and indwell believers. It's Jesus' death, his resurrection, his exaltation that ushers in this new period in salvation history where it is specifically highlighted by the work of the Spirit. We've already seen this in John 7 where Jesus mentioned um, that the Spirit would not come because he had not yet been glorified. And then we go into the history of the church and we come to Acts and we see Jesus say, wait here, but, but you'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And then he ascends into heaven and then they wait. And then Acts 2, the Spirit comes. And it's not that the Spirit had not been at work previously. We could see even in Genesis 1, the Spirit is hovering over the waters of the deep as God creates the heavens in the earth, it's that the Spirit had not worked in this full, powerful sense that was promised even in the Old Testament. But now that the Spirit has been given, we know that for those who repent of their sins and trust in Jesus, you have the promised Spirit in you. Ephesians 1 says this, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. If today you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus and draw near to Him, He's gonna pour His Spirit out into your hearts and you will never be without his presence. You see, what the disciples were worried about is what we see here in John 14, verse 18, where Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. So one of the primary roles of the Spirit is that he brings the presence of God to his people. The Spirit replaces Jesus' encouraging, strengthening presence. It's as if, as one commentary, commentator says, it's as if Jesus takes up his residence in them. And notice what it says in verse 15. John 4, I mean 14, 16. I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. The Father will never leave you or forsake you. This is what Romans 8 confirms with us. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We are not orphans left by Jesus we are adopted, and the way that we experience that is through the Spirit of Christ who's been poured out into our hearts. If you were to think about the promise of God's presence, 
This has been one of the key themes from the very beginning. I mean, think about it. What was so great about the Garden of Eve? God creates Adam and Eve. He puts them in the, in the garden. It was God. It was the presence of God that was with them. One of the things you could trace all through Scripture is the people of God in the place of God enjoying the blessing and presence of God. So what's so tragic about the fall in Genesis 3 is the people of God, Adam and Eve, are kicked out of the place of God where there's the blessing and presence of God. And you could track all the way through Israel. What was so great about the temple and the tabernacle? It was God's promise of his presence that would be with them. Moses says, hey God, if your presence doesn't go with me in the fire by night and the cloud by day, I'm not leading this people. So he cries out, show me your glory. We come on to the New Testament and we see God's presence is displayed through Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 1, right, that he's tabernacled, he's dwelt among us. And then now... In the church, God's presence is present with us through his spirit because we are now the temple of the living God. But you know what? One day, we are headed towards a day in Revelation which says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. The greatest thing about the promise of the spirit is that we actually experience and have the presence of God with us. You don't have to come to Sundays to experience the presence of God. Like, this is the practical reality. As you come to faith in Jesus, you're not an orphan. You're not alone. The Spirit of Christ is in you to lead, to guide, and to bless. This is why in John 14, he says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world does I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled Neither let them be afraid. You no longer have to fear or have worry or anxiety because God has poured out his spirit, his presence. You will never be alone. That's why you can cry out. It says in Philippians 4, let your request be known to God so that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your minds and your hearts in Christ Jesus. So the way we tangibly appropriate and experience the spirit is we walk daily in communion with him through prayer. And prayer isn't something that just happens in community group or on Sunday morning. This is an ongoing conversation that we have with God through his presence with us. This spirit is a helping presence, but it's also called here, he's called the spirit of truth. And we'll wrap up with this. In verse 16, and I ask the Father and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. And he says over in verse 26 of 14, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. One of the primary functions in the early 11 disciples is that the spirit reminded them of the things Jesus taught them. How were they to obey the commands of Christ? There was no New Testament when he departed. It wasn't like, all right, here's the Bible. You guys go do this. No, they were a part of writing the Bible. 
How did they so faithfully and accurately record what we have today? It's through the Spirit. The Spirit reminded them. We've already seen through John many times where John said, after this, they remember that Jesus had told them this before it happened. We already see this in this chapter. Jesus says, I've told you this before it happened so that you wouldn't worry or be afraid and you would believe when it actually happens. This confirms what Peter says in 2 Peter. He says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here's the deal. The Spirit doesn't produce new revelation. The Spirit is closely connected to Christ and reminding them of the revelation already brought by Christ. And so even today, the, the Spirit isn't, it's working in us in a similar, though secondary sense. We're not writing the New Testament right now. He's not providing new revelation, but as we read and study it, and you've got the Spirit, He's illuminating your minds to rightly understand the message about Christ so that you can hear and respond with eyes of faith. Here's how the Spirit works with the Word. When we read the Word, it's like holding up a lightning rod, and the Spirit works powerfully. When we take up the Word with prayer and eyes of faith, the Spirit works with us to believe and to respond and to obey. That's why the Spirit is called, what's the sword of the Spirit? It's the Word of God. I'm sure the Ali family is still mourning the loss of Muhammad Ali, and rightfully so. But as we think about Jesus' departure from the world to be at the Father's right hand, we should not be sorrowful or anxious. In fact, his very presence is in you through his spirit, and he stills your anxious hearts. He will lead you into truth through the illumination of his word. He will bring peace to your hearts. He will drive out fear. My plea with you today is that we experience him and walk in genuine love as we long and wait for his physical return and presence with us forever. We long for Revelation 23. You were made for the presence of God and you thrive when you are living in his presence. You experience that today through his spirit, even as we wait and cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come. And we long for the new heavens, the new earth, where it says the dwelling place of God will be with man and we will live with him forever. So display genuine love for Christ as you experience and enjoy the helping presence of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are often confronted with the lack of obedience at times, the lack of love at times. It reminds us of our desperate need for your grace, your forgiveness, and for the enabling power of your spirit. Got to pray that we would be a church that doesn't just have a stated love for Christ, but an actual love for Christ that is ongoing and increasingly testified through our obedience of Christ. 
We've got to pray that we don't leave today defeated or guilty for lack of obedience, but that we leave today seeing even more our great need to fall on our faces, to cry out to you for your grace and your spirit to increase ever so more in our hearts and in our lives, that we would walk in communion with you through your spirit to lead us into truth and to help us to believe your truth and to follow and obey. God, would you increase our love for you. God, for the tough times we experience, God, would you remind us that we're not alone? The hard decisions in life, we don't have to fear or to be anxious as if we were orphans, but to know that we have a heavenly Father who's poured out himself through the Spirit in us and you are with us. God, we thank you for that presence. Help us to enjoy and rest in it. In Christ, we pray. Amen.